This is Steve Roush with Capital City Law. And I'm Jen Wolf with Wolf Legal. On this episode of Can't Take It With You, we're going to talk about estate planning for millennials. Jen, when we're talking about estate planning for individuals that are younger than me, okay, I'm 50, so anybody that's younger than I am, what are some of the considerations that are important? So often when we chat with clients that are younger, they will approach us from this position of, well, I don't even know if I should be talking to you because you're talking about an estate and I don't have a country house out there that falls into the definition of estate. So what are we even talking about? And we like to break it down to them that there are some very compelling reasons why if you are a younger family or a younger professional or just someone who um, is caring about their, their future and their ability to put a plan in place, there's some things to look to. So there's there's three categories that I always like to highlight, and I'll highlight them here, and then we'll chat a little bit more about them as we go through this podcast. But first, let's talk about your kids. Let's talk about those minor children, because for many of us who have minor kids, I have a six and four-year-old. Steve has some younger kids as well. This is our primary concern when we're thinking about estate planning. Then thinking about some of the planning documents we'd want to have in place if we became incapacitated. And finally, this is one that a lot of people don't think about, but think about your digital footprint. Think about those digital assets you may have, that Instagram account, your PayPal, Cash App. What's going to happen to those? So those are some of the things that we touch on when talking about estate planning for anyone post the age of 50, as you said. (laughs) That's right. right. And even though I am 53, I just turned 53, I do have a one-year-old. And and a six, uh, six-year-old six stepdaughter, and that becomes an important consideration for me, even at my age, of dealing with estate planning because I need to provide for them because they cannot take care of themselves. And so really the big one that we talk about and the one that I know for most young clients that I've worked with has been a big concern is who will take care of my kids? And man, this is the question I get more than anything. I mean, there's a there's a fear out there of, well, you know, if I don't name guardians, is the state going to come and take away my kids? No, this is not the situation that we're talking about. The state wants your children to be with the very best fit of person that could raise them if you're unable to do so. But you have the ability right now to name that person. And it is so important for so many reasons. I mean, number one, thinking through if something were to catastrophically happen to you or to you and your spouse, your children do not want there to be any infighting in the family. So sometimes people have different views on what's best for the kids in that situation. If you go ahead and set forth a plan and name who those guardians should be, you're just cutting out the legs from that argument. You can dictate what you want to happen and and no one else can really say otherwise. Jen, you raised a good point in that, you know, I think one big fear that people have is that if they die, that the state of Idaho, like you said, would just step in automatically and put their kids into a foster care situation. And that's not the case. The state, if there was a situation where there was just nobody absolutely available in the family that could step in and provide that, then maybe the state would be in that scenario. But most of the time what happens, and my experience has happened, is that your family steps in and they're going to provide the care and nurturing for your child until we get through these legal processes that have to go through to actually get an appointment of a guardian. So when thinking about who to choose as a guardian, I know that this is a huge roadblock. Some of my clients have come in and told me, well, we've wanted to do an estate plan for years, but we just can't think of who we would name as a guardian. And the advice I always give in that situation is let's work backwards because many of us have 
have someone we absolutely would not want to raise our kids. So think about who that person is. Think about if there's a mother-in-law, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, your dad, whoever the family member may be that you really would not want to be in the position to raise your kids. And then work backwards from there. Because if, like I've said, if you have a plan in place, the court will respect that plan. They're going to follow who you want named as guardians. The other really important thing I like to emphasize for folks is a potential guardian does not have to be a family member. So if your best friend, your pastor, your neighbor is the person that you think would be most equipped to raise your children in the way that you would want them to be raised, that's great. They can be named. And let's talk a little bit about the procedure, because I know that's one of the things that does come up about procedure in when if, if a parent passes away or parents pass away. And I've unfortunately had that situation early in my career where I had a uh, mother and a father both die tragically in a car accident and left three little kids. Um, and, and we're now at the very 18 years later dealing with them coming out of the guardianship system um, in through the court system. And, and so um, I'm very familiar with kind of the process and how this works. And so the first thing that happens is if you have named in your will document, and that's the place that you name your guardians is within your will or last will and testament. When you name them, what's going to happen is your executor or your personal representative is going to have the responsibility of, and the guardian, oftentimes in this case, of petitioning the court for the appointment of the guardians. And there's a statutory provision that that provides for that under the probate code, whereby we petition the court and it's opened up and we're asking the court in an informal proceeding to appoint the guardians. The effect is, is that the judge, as soon as that happens, they understand that the time is of the essence. And so they move forward generally fairly quickly to get that appointment reviewed and get the order in place so that your guardians have full authority to make decisions on behalf of your minor children. And so it's not something that there is a, a, a lag period. It usually happens within a matter of a, of a few days that we have those legal documents in place. And so from that standpoint, it's just so important that you take the steps of naming the appropriate people because then the legal process will do what it needs to. That's such great advice, Steve. And one of the other things I always joke with my clients is when they come in to see me, they're already doing something in the direction of, quote, quote, adulting by trying to get an estate plan in place. And so I just add on another task, which is let's talk about life insurance. It is so beneficial for your minor children to have some sort of life insurance in place because it allows you to make a decision about who you would want to act as a guardian for your kids without having to worry about finances. You're the one that's going to set them up for financial success. And so it doesn't cause you to have to make a choice on guardians based on who you think would have the funds to handle that because you're you're able to leave those funds in place for your kids. And so I always like to um, make sure that we cover that topic as well and that that's something that parents have thought through. Absolutely. When we talk about life insurance, there are phases of life where life insurance has particular purposes. And in this situation, life insurance is for the ability to provide resources there that are going to provide the financial wherewithal for your children to be taken care of until they're old enough to start taking care of themselves. There's other reasons we use life insurance later in life, but during this time frame, it is strictly to provide that financial resource for their care. And so, Jen, what happens 
Because one of the issues we have is this question of who's going to provide the care for the child, which is the guardian, but who's going to manage the assets? Well, the reason this is important for us to consider is we've shared a couple of other times on this podcast, minors cannot inherit. Legally, they do not have standing to inherit any funds from you until they reach the age of 18. And if we do good planning, it'll likely be past the age of 18 because we don't want them to run off to a car dealership or something and blow that inheritance. So in your planning documents, if you have a will-based plan, you should have something in the plan called a testamentary trust, which essentially creates a bucket for funds to go into at the time of your passing through the probate process, and then a trustee can manage those funds. Or if you have a revocable living trust-based plan, again, you'll have a trustee that can manage those funds, and that trustee can be the same person as your guardian, or you can split those roles. So you can say, okay, well, I think my sister would provide a really loving home for my children. And I think that my uncle has a really great financial head on his shoulders. And I want him to make sure that he's sort of doing the administrative step of keeping track of those funds. And the trustee has the ability to use those funds for the health, education, welfare, and support of your kids. And then you can put into place in your plan when you would want distributions for them when they reach a certain age or certain ages. And there's a lot of flexibility there. That's something you should talk with your estate planner about. But the important thing to note is that the trustee and the guardian can be the same person. They don't have to be. And then there will be funds available through your planning for your kids' education and for their welfare as they grow up. And it's such an important understanding for people to have is that they can be different, they don't have to be the same, or they can be the same. That's one question that has often come up is, is that wise to name the same person? Well, it depends on the dynamics. And so you just need to understand the dynamics of what's gonna be best for your child. You brought up a, an important topic, and that is minors cannot own assets. And um, this is just an important one. I'm just gonna put a quick blurb in here because I've had a couple situations in my career where parents just not thinking have added their minor children to to assets, thinking that they, that was going to somehow, some way benefit that child. And what it really did is it created just a legal mess that had to be dealt with through the court system. So one of the big ones was, this has happened about 15 years ago, I had a, a grandmother reach out to me on a Friday afternoon. It always seems to happen on a Friday of afternoon. Of course it does. And she needed to close on her transfer, I think it was a refinance actually, of her house the next Monday. But she realized, because the title company raised the question, why do we have this other person named on there and who on the title to the property and who are they? And then when she proceeded to explain that it was her minor grandson, the title company then threw up a red flag and said, well, we're actually in a very difficult position here because that per we cannot guarantee title to a minor. So she was hoping through our office that we were going to be able to fix this for her so that she could close. The unfortunate thing is it was about a six-month process because we had to then go to court, ask for a special appointment of even the, the this minor person's parent to act as a special administrator to transfer that property out of that minor's name back to the grandmother so she could refinance the house. It was just a mess. 
And I think the important thing there is when we are looking at your estate plan, we try to take a holistic approach. So we look at all of your assets. We look at all of your beneficiary designations and talk through with you. How do you have those aligned so that it makes sense so that you don't end up in a situation like that? Absolutely. Jen, there are, there are some other documents, and we alluded to this in the very beginning, that are important for, for parents to have in place. And, and those are uh, power of attorney documents and healthcare directives. And what we would suggest is that we have a specific podcast that we have addressed this. So look for those that deal with power of attorney documents and healthcare uh, powers of attorney because it explains the importance of them and how they interact with your estate plan. Uh, Jen, this concept of digital assets, what is it? So it's funny because this is not something that seems to have a lot of value to a certain subset of my clients, but to those who are interacting digitally on a daily basis, they can see that this is a huge area that they need to handle. And so thinking through who owns your Facebook page, who's going to close that down if something happens to you, who's going to be able to take any money that you have in Venmo or PayPal or Bitcoin and do something with it, who's going to make sure that your digital footprint either can remain intact if that's your desire or that it gets taken all down. And this is one of those things that we have some specific statutes here in Idaho that deal with digital assets, but we need to put some steps in place so that those can be accessed. Yeah. And so it's a very important in your estate planning documents, whether that's a will-based plan or a trust-based plan, that you've addressed that, that you've given the authority and power to your to your to either your personal representative through a will or your trustee through your trust to be able to use the statutory provisions for digital assets and be able to take control and address and deal with those assets. And Jen, you, you bring up a good point because the more and more that we become a, uh, a digital society, where most of our communication now happens some way, somehow through the access to the World Wide Web or the internet, we just have assets. You wouldn't think that your email account or your Facebook account or your Twitter account or any of those were an asset, but it's actually something that somebody has to take control of and manage if you're no longer able to do it. And I will put in a quick plug, when we do estate plans at Wolf Legal, we always provide a opportunity for someone to keep a record of personal information. And Steve, I know you really stress this with your clients as well, but by personal information, I mean thinking through what are all of the accounts that you have that require a password? And is there a place that those passwords are listed and kept up to date? I personally use one password as a way to protect right. my passwords. There's a lot of ways to do it. But thinking through, would someone be able to access all of your password protected accounts if something were to happen to you and help to... Um, end those or take any funds that are remaining in there or, you know, make sure that they're able to store pictures. A lot of folks have a lot of pictures stored on social media sites, on Google Drive, on Facebook, yeah. on Instagram. If you wanted to try to get all of those to maintain those memories, how's that going to happen? So these are some of the things to think through on a practical level. What are you going to do to maintain that information? It's so important because we've heard recently in the last couple of years of those situations where we have large Bitcoin accounts sitting and the original owner of that account has passed away and nobody knows what their specific key to access that account is. And now there's millions of dollars sitting in accounts of Bitcoin that can't be accessed because that person is now deceased and it was in their head. You need to have it someplace where your 
personal representative or trustee knows where that's at and they can access it.